what do you think about all of this news about the unidentified flying objects that the U.S. keeps shooting down? Do you know, here's the thing. Here's the yeah. real problem, Kyle, mm-hmm. is that I don't look at the news at all ever. So I hear about these things very distantly and with very little detail. <laughs> that's 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 totally understandable. You know, I would imagine that if it were to get to a point where it was important enough to break through that, you would know, you know? <laughs> right. But by then it's too late and I'm already in grave yeah. danger. <laughs> in, yeah, in grave danger, truly. I also imagine that by the time this episode comes out, none of, well, who knows? Maybe no, there'll be it's 30 the more. News, <laughs> the news cycles are so brief nowadays. Yeah. They've probably already forgotten about it by the time we finish recording this episode. Finish recording, Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. You never know. You know what I do know, Kyle? Uh, what do you know, Emily? We're doing butter no parsnips right now. What? Yeah, Mind hey everybody. Blown. Welcome to butter no parsnips. I'm Emily Moyers, and I'm Kyle Imperator. Guess what? <gasps> what, Kyle? I have a word for you right now. Kyle, this has never happened before. I, I don't know. even know what to do with a word. Oh, that is a real <laughs> big problem, <laughs> and going to mean this is going to be a brief episode. <laughs> Well, let's give it a shot. Let me see if I can uh, fudge my way through this. Emily, I'm going to be honest. I think you've got a real good chance at knowing what this word is. Oh, okay. I like it's that. It's right up your alley. Okay. Okay. Your word today is Tellurian. <gasps> Tellurian is spelled T-E-L-L-U-R-I-A-N. Tellurian. Well, Kyle, let me assuage any fears you might have. I have oh, no idea what this word means. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> no, Tellurian. Interesting. Tellurian. Is... Or if you're British, Tellurian. 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 <laughs> or if you're German, Kyle? Uh, or if you're German, uh, ja, da, das ist Tellurian. That's ja. pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, I wonder if I did I write down what the word is in German? Let's see. Do I Why have would you have written that down? I do. It's Tellerisch. Is this word of German origin? It is not. Okay. Why do you have it written down in German? Because <laughs> uh, <I> go- <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I go through other languages to see what they got, you know, oh, on the docket. Kyle writes all of his notes in German first. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then I translate them from the German. <laughs> Just to waste his own time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually put my notes through Google Translate 10 times. So that's why none of it ever makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the language of origin for this, Kyle? The language of origin for Tellurian is Latin. All right. I'm going to make one wild guess, and then maybe okay. if you got a little hinty hint, 
Maybe I'll oh, take I that. forgot about the hinty hint. But oh, okay. it's a new addition, Kyle. You got to come it up with is. a hinty hint on I'll the get fly. One. <laughs> I'll, I'll get one on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to just, maybe I'll get it right on this guess. You never know, Kyle. Mm-hmm. I think to, wait, hang on. What's the part of speech? Is it an adjective? <gasps> it can be an adjective, but it can also be a noun. Okay. Those are the two that I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'll go for the adjective. Something is Tellurian if it is... Hmm. In space. In, not from space, but presently in space. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I mean, Am wrong, I close? but pretty close. You're <gasps> like right there. Oh, that's what I was like. If Kyle thinks I know this word, I'm obsessed with space. So <laughs> it probably is related. Wow. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> is it directly related to the Apollo program? Because <laughs> I am um, obsessed with that. Uh, uh, I not directly. I mean, not specifically, kind of, but not specifically. Okay. I mean, that is a already hint? a lot of a clue. But if you if you have another one, I'll take it. I mean, I'll give you the hint. The one word hint that I have for you yeah. is human. Human. Is it a thing that is Tellurian or a person that is Tellurian? Either. Oh. Something is Tellurian if it is... <laughs> One more guess, Emily. Get okay. it out. <laughs> uh, in a in an airtight capsule. Oh, God. No, but <laughs> I think we are going to talk about that later in this episode somehow. <laughs> I don't know how you did this, Emily. No. Are you ready for the answer? I'm, I'm so ready. So, Tellurian, as an adjective, in the formal or literary sense, means of or relating to the Earth, as in earthly or terrestrial. Oh. But it has taken on a chiefly science fiction meaning, Emily, Uh in an adjective form, meaning inhabiting planet Earth as opposed to other planets. Sure. So like so a then, Taylorian is a person from Earth? You got it. That is the noun form. An inhabitant of the planet Earth would be a Taylorian. Got you. So this is like synonymous with other sci-fi words like Terran or Earthling. Exactly, Emily. Yeah. Exactly. You got it. It is synonymous. Wow. I've never heard Taylorian though. You, that's Really? Fun. You've never heard it? No. Oh, that's really interesting. And I only I do kind of knew a it. lot of sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. And Emily, we're going to talk so much about so much sci-fi today. So I think <gasps> you're going to be excited. So let's talk about the origin of Tellurian. Yeah. It, it comes from the Latin word tellus, uh-huh. which means earth or ground or soil, or it can mean earth, capital E, globe or world, or it can also mean country or district or land. Wow, just any any level of space. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much it's it's got them all there, yeah, you know. Can also mean zip code or <laughs> yeah. property that you own. <laughs> yeah. Second floor, yeah. you know. <laughs> mailbox. <laughs> mailbox. <Yeah. laughs> Just the space inside your mailbox. Really, just whatever you got. It's Tellurian. Um, Yes. It's possible that Tellus derives from an Etruscan word. Oh. Just trying to make sure I remember who the Etruscans are. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're like other 
Italian region ancestors that right. aren't the like Athenians or the, you know, the Greeks specifically. Right. In my head, I feel like I equate the Etruscans more with the Romans. I don't know if that's right. There's only one way to find out, Emily. It's for me to get that dual degree in history right now. Yeah, that's it. That's where we're going <laughs> to go. the with. only solution. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's, it's possible that telus could derive from an Etruscan word, dular, Ooh. which means earth or land or ground or country. <laughs> so with that relation, it's been suggested that dular not only r- relates back to the Latin word telus, but possibly a few other Latin words, one of them being Tellus with a capital T, which means an ancient goddess of Earth or Earth Mother. Oh, that's such a good god name to put in (laughs) D&D. There's also the Latin word Tellurus, which means male deity, I guess just in general. Just in general. Yeah. They're like, well, if this lady's a lady, then just add the male suffix and it's any other male god. (laughs) Fair. And there's also the Latin word telluster, which means belonging to the earth or terrestrial. So it's kind of a synonym for our Tellurian. So, Emily, Tellurian had mostly academic beginnings was first used in 1786 in a text called A Brief Account of the Hospital of St. Elizabeth, <laughs> which oh. is, you know, a very, uh, you know, that sounds like, what what a fun <laughs> work that's going to be, right? <laughs> what a jovial read. <laughs> yeah, just really a breeze, you know. I, I, my lady's book club <laughs> read yeah. through that. It's yeah. my coffee table book. <laughs> yeah. And that book uses Tellurian? That book uses Tellurian... You know, it's mostly about this religious hospital, but it was translated from the Latin by a lawyer and amateur astronomer named Kappel Loft. Isn't an an amateur astronomer just a guy who likes looking at (laughs) constellations? I mean, definitely, yes, but I also feel like maybe that's what any astronomer was in 1786. (laughs) So, Loft uses his astronomical dabbling to describe the cycle of the sun in the book, which he says may be called Tellurian or hebdomal or septimanal cycle because it regards the effect of the intercalations arising from the excess of the Uh. real period of the Earth's revolution above the computed one of 365 days. And that's where the lawyer part comes in, right? (laughs) Was he trying to make sure no one could read this book? (laughs) I read that line a hundred times and I, st- I i think what he's saying is like a year isn't the same as the cycle of the sun around the earth because the time is different <laughs> <laughs> two of the words that he used there hebdomal and septimanal i can define for us oh, that's good by hebdomal i think he probably meant the word hebdomadal which means weekly Okay. And that's from the Latin word hebdomas, which means seven or week. Oh, yeah. Like, 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 hepta, that's like seven. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then similarly, he says the word septimanal, which also means weekly. And yeah. that's from the Latin septem, which also means seven. They had just two words for seven. Well, but hept and sept are very close. I feel like there was probably a common ancestor word there. Yes. So uh, that work was weird and boring, and I don't want to talk anymore about it. So (laughs) 
forget I ever mentioned it, except for the fact that it was the first time we ever got Tellurian in the English language. Okay, sure. Okay. In a book about hospitals, but also about the cycles of the sun. Yeah, exactly. So, Emily, when do you think this word was first used in a science fiction context? Oh, so that what the book that you just described was the 1700s? It was 1786. 1786. And then this was first used in a sci-fi context in, I mean, probably uh, 1599? 1599. <laughs> no, I got to figure the, the mm, 30s. Of which the, century? The 1930s. The uh, but, 1930s. But now that you asked, I feel like I'm wrong <laughs> You are wrong, <laughs> That's but fair. that is what I had thought before I went into this word. But that is not when Tellurian was first used in a science fiction context, Emily. It actually wasn't long after Kapoloft's 1786 text oh. that we got it in a sci-fi context. It was actually in 1828, Emily. Wow. Mm -hmm. 1828 sci-fi. In 1828, a review was posted. Uh, posted? Why did I write posted? <laughs> a review was, I guess, Posted written. on the internet. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? <laughs> it was written in Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine for an English translation of Aristophanes' play Eirene, which means peace, oh. uh, as interpreted by someone named H. Mordant. He was the interpreter of that English translation. Mordant. 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 Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing, Emily. Uh -oh. All right. I couldn't find a copy of the script. I couldn't find when the actual play was written. <laughs> I couldn't find anything out about H. Mordant. Oh, was this I know, all made up? <laughs> I don't know. I possibly, but we are lucky that the reviewer of this work incorporates large portions of the script in his <laughs> review and has included a pretty in-depth close reading of its contents. So we've got a good idea of a Maybe work for what's what in it. Maybe what it is, this guy just wrote a play, <laughs> yeah. but he couldn't quite put the pieces together. So he said, I'll just write a fake review for my play yeah. and put in all the pieces that I have. That's how Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Cats, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> yes. So, Emily, <laughs> the plot of the original Aristophanes play was thus. Get ready for this. Uh-oh. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> A middle-aged Athenian man named Trigaeus, in order to plead with the gods to end the Peloponnesian War feeds excrement to a Ugh. giant dung beetle until Ugh. it is large enough to ride to their home in the heavens. Okay. That is the opening of this ancient <laughs> Greek play. I mean, when a sentence starts, feeds excrement to, you get real worried, <laughs> but when it finishes with dung beetle, it is a little reassuring because they're, they're supposed to eat that. <laughs> yeah. That sentence could have ended worse. <laughs> Much worse. Well, it does get worse because oh. as he rides the dung beetle to the heavens, he turns to the audience and begs with them. And I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here. He begs them not to distract his mount by farting or shitting <laughs> any time in the next three days. So 
for in the next three days? Yeah, because he's giving them I guess... an assignment for even after they leave the theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold it in. Hold it in. Russell's play is destroyed. It's ruined. <laughs> I thought it was like, hey, don't fart while you're watching my play. But he said, not for that. You can't go to the bathroom for the next yeah. three days. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to kill I, some people. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, my assumption is that maybe it, like in the play, it takes three days to get to the heavens. And so, like, the characters worried that, you know, the farts or the poops might make the dung beetle want to come back to the audience. I don't know. <laughs> but he eventually arrives at their home, Emily, to find that only Hermes remains. Uh, who explains that the rest of the gods have left to escape the incessant prayers of the humans. Oh, they said because they're too they're, whiny. Yeah, yeah, they're because they're praying for peace. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, they, and they don't want to hear it anymore. Big ask, bucko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a god, but I don't think I could make that happen. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> Truly. So in their place, war has moved into their house and has imprisoned peace in a nearby cave. Peace is a woman in this play. Sure. And then Trigeus then realizes he must free peace and bring her companions harvest and festival back to Athens. So Emily, at this point, you must be asking yourself, what the heck does this have to do with the word Tellurian? Hey, Kyle. Where does sci-fi come into this? Yes. What the heck does this have to do with the word Tellurian? Mm -hmm. And how does sci-fi come into this? Well, Emily, as I alluded to earlier, Morden's translation wasn't a direct translation, but more of an interpretation. Sure. In fact, the full title of his translation reads, Peace a comedy by Aristophanes freely imitated in English verse. <laughs> Loosely inspired by. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's like when you go see a movie that's based on a book and you're like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. This yeah. isn't the same thing. We read the back cover of The Lightning yeah. Thief and then made a movie. <laughs> So Mordent tried to translate some of the themes into a more modern understanding of his time. So he changed much of the Greek mythology in the play into, get ready for this, Emily. Uh-oh. He changed the Greek mythology into sci-fi elements oh my God. in the 1800s. So funny. <laughs> I, I don't he was know like, why. I think we got to jazz it up. <laughs> Really? Like, it's like, oh, we gotta, it's, you know it what it needs? More space. Robots. <laughs> Lasers. Yeah. <laughs> like a the media works. mogul. <laughs> yeah, the works. <laughs> Give me some bubble wrap in his stat. I'm gonna make an alien costume. <laughs> to start off, Emily, as the reviewer states... Instead of the disgusting process of feeding the scarabaeus with which the Greek play opens, Mr. Mordant introduces two apprentices of Mr. Bubble, a speculator filling uh. a balloon, with which he proposes to ascend to the lunar regions in search of silver mines in which he has already issued shares which bear a premium. <laughs> oh, I mean... <laughs> That's real. <laughs> so not only is he <laughs> building a balloon to go to the moon, <laughs> but he's yeah. also a stock speculator. <laughs> yeah. 
So when Mr. Bubble arrives on the moon, he doesn't find Hermes there, Emily, but instead he finds the man in the moon. Sure. Did he did he's did his balloon crash into the eyeball of the man? It does. It does. It 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 did not uh, uh, influence the Melier film whatsoever. Boo. But the following conversation is then had between Mr. Bubble and the man on the moon. And I just want to tell everybody now, before I read this, this entire play is also in iambic pentameter. So everybody count out Kyle's syllables. Yeah. <laughs> Make I'm sure he's read doing it, it right. Da, 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 da. No, I'm yeah. not going to do that. <laughs> so it's between the man on the moon and the bubble. The man on the moon starts. I'm not going to say their names. I'm just going to do character voices. Okay. Go for it. I believe in you. Here we go. What monster have we here? Away, Tellurian! Good Mr. Lunatic, nay, make me welcome. I have brought you a rich present. Fifty shares in mines I wish to broach in your fair planet. Already are they up at seventy. They'll yield nice pickings if you sell them soon. Mines, you great oaf! We once had mines of silver. They're all worked out. Our miners are gone packing. I stay to watch their tools, crows, axes, barrows. One, tell me, whence of ore this great consumption, and whither did your folks export their bullion? We sent it out in silver beams, in moonshine, (gasps) and you Tellurians drained us. Peace you indeed may have, but not her hale and tidy niece, cheap living. (laughs) So, Emily, there's a lot to cover here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you first of all, yeah. my immediate thought was uh, great usage of the original definition of lunatic. That's exactly what I was going to talk about, Emily. It's a good one. Isn't that crazy? I So I didn't put two and two together there. Right. And I was like, wait, does lunatic, like, is the Luna in lunatic about yeah. the moon? Lunar. Yep. Yes. It actually comes from the late Latin lunaticus which means of or living on the moon right so they just had a word for it but it also gained the sense moonstruck or crazy which i do you know this emily i don't actually know the reason why yeah it gained the sense moonstruck or crazy uh, stemming from the belief that changes of the moon caused intermittent insanity oh and i wonder so that's if the connection like Lycanthropy myths came from the same idea. Oh, Emily. It's gotta be related, right? Gotta be related. Wow. Gotta be. The other thing that I want to point out here is uh, yes, Emily, the maiden peace is no longer the damsel in this play, but instead the damsel is her niece, cheap living. Oh, he meant the literal characters? Literally. Oh, I thought he was speaking metaphorically. (laughs) Me too, but it's not the case. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, Cheap Living is accompanied by not festival and harvest, as as Peace was in the original play, but instead she's accompanied by O.P., a noisy lady fond of finery, whom Bubble recommends as a suitable match to the chairman of the London Forum. (laughs) Gotta be some sort of political bench there. That was a burn, for sure. Yeah. And a woman named Harvest Home, whom Bubble marries, then gets tired of pursuing mining and moves to the country to cultivate what he calls an experimental farm. Oh, I don't know what it is. 
but that's what he calls it. Uh, but that's nice, though. He's he's he, you know, settles down in the countryside with his lovely wife, with his lovely wife Harvest Home. And I'm sure. I mean, if if Harvest Home is meant to be like, if she has powers representative of her name, then I'm sure it was a successful farm. I but that is that one could believe that. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, Emily. Uh-huh. Understandably, Tellurian made its return to sci-fi through the pulp magazines of the early 20th century. And that's what you had mentioned earlier when you said, oh, yeah. the 1930s, right? All that stuff that came out of the 30s, for sure. So uh, the the first sci-fi magazine, in English at least, was Hugo Gernsback's Amazing Stories magazine. It was solely dedicated to science fiction, and it began publication in 1926. You know, I've heard of the magazine, Amazing Stories. I did not know that's the name of the guy who invented it. Mm-hmm. Gerns, uh, G- what is it? Gornax? Gerns, Gernsback. Gernsback. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. Huh? <laughs> it's a great name. Gernsback is sometimes called the father of science fiction because he, yeah, but th- like, his magazine was so prolific. There's like 12 different men who are sometimes called the father of science there fiction. Are. So. There are 12, but he's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Especially, he's especially remembered because the sci-fi literature Hugo Awards are named <gasps> after him. Oh, that makes so much sense. When you said Hugo, I was like, why does that sound familiar? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's why. A side note about Gernsback, Emily. I just found this right before we started recording, (laughs) and I couldn't not talk about it. I found an invention of his. It is a study aid, and I say that in quotation marks, and it's called the Isolator. Is this like he invented it and copyrighted it, or he invented it? in a sci-fi book and then someone else tried to copyright it and they said no it was already in a sci-fi book because that happened with the waterbed (laughs) yeah no it's not that this is a real thing that he made prototypes of oh my god for for those of you at home the best way i could describe it is as a giant brimless wooden mounty hat that covers your head like a helmet (laughs) i was thinking like um metal squidward and Metal Squidward works too. Yeah, so it's Scary. it has two small holes for seeing, and there's white lines etched on the glass to so that you can focus what? on what you're studying. What? It, it, yeah, and and there's an oxygen tank attached, like an elephant trunk to the nose area. But like, so, um, it's a small elephant trunk. You would not get a lot yeah. of airflow through yeah, there. No, 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 no. It's like breathing it's, through a straw. I can imagine this did not help anybody study. <laughs> so this wasn't for if you were in a place with no oxygen this was for just just shutting out the noise around you yeah yeah exactly he was like you can focus with this oh god very incorrect my dude really wrong you might die in there so an early example of tellurian used in gernsback's magazine was in charles l tanner's 1932 tumathak of the corridors oh Yeah, so in the story, all of mankind has been driven to live underground, and we follow the main character, Tumathak, as he discovers a manuscript describing his Tellurian ancestors traveling to Venus and escaping from the spider-like Shelks who follow them back to Earth to rule its surface. They kind of take over the Earth and force everybody underground. The Shelks are basically spiders with human heads. Oh. They're described as having 10 long finger-like legs. Finger-like and there's legs. some pictures of them that accompany 
the work. Oh okay, god, so the shelves yeah. are so scary. <laughs> Height 1.2 meter is so big. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> I was yeah. like, and, I was like, I feel like I could see it if they were small, but no, they're giant. <laughs> they're giant. Yeah. Oh my they're god. Giant. Hate that. So this work in particular, Emily, was an influence on a young Isaac Asimov, hey. who was just just about twelve years old when when this work was uh, released in the magazine. The father of um, science fiction. The the other other father of <laughs> science of fiction. Yeah, <laughs> Asimov said of the story. Far and away, the best and most exciting story I had ever read up to that time. I found the characters human and the hero all the more admirable because he could feel fear. I found the plot exciting and a deep humanity in the sentence, Tumathak had to learn that in no matter what nation or age one finds oneself, he will find gentleness, if he looks, as well as savagery. Wow. That's a good line. The titular corridors of the story especially spoke to the claustrophilic Asimov ah. and directly influenced the underground Tellurian civilization in his The Caves of Steel novel. Wow, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, uh, it ended up being a part of one of his other series, although it didn't, the Foundation series, although it didn't start as gotcha. that. Start as a separate series. Gotcha. And Asimov, of course, as you know, as I know, Emily, is now considered one of the most important science fiction writers of all time. Well, at least out of all of the Tellurian writers, that is. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Kyle. So, Emily, now we come to that point of our program where I have to ask you a question. Uh Ozville. Can you use Tellurian in a sentence? Can I ever? All right. Let me think. Let me think of a good sci-fi sentence here. Good. Okay. The Martian Valentine Michael Smith eventually came to grok the Tellurians mm, of mm, Earth. Mm. Uh, that is a reference to the uh, sci-fi novel Stranger in a Strange Land, which you can hear about in our episode Grok. But I've just ju I've just told you what you need to know. And it was a perfect use of the word Tellurian and of Grok. And for that, Emily, we cheer you with all of our ten long finger-like oh, legs. No, please don't put those away. <laughs> okay, Emily, are you prepared for a game? I think I am. Your game today is called We Come in Erene. <gasps> really good, Kyle. I know. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> so, Emily, in one of Asimov's essays, he mentions the sci-fi scholar Philip N. Bridges and his work on science fiction nomenclature, specifically on planetary etymology. Ooh. Yeah, Asimov says of Bridges that he advocates what he maintains to be correctly derived words, such as telus and tellurian, in place of terra and terran, which he felt were incorrect. Oh, we don't like based those. Based on the etymology. Yeah, based on like the etymology, he didn't think they were right. Okay, fair enough. He claims telus is the proper name for our planet, which being named for the goddess of the earth, whereas earth itself was just an extension of the word for ground, as our ancestors did not know that we were living on a planet. Uh, that's honestly fair. And given yeah, that fair, all right? the other planets are have like god etymologies, it makes sense that Earth should too. Exactly. So, Emily, in this game, I'm going to give you a planet or a moon, and you're going to have to guess what Bridges believed to be the correct demonym oh, for its inhabitants. No. 
so it's earlier okay. today when you said, okay, the game is perfect. You're not going to get any of the answers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. You got it. So can you name, I know you can because you did already. What's the demonym for those who live on Mars? Martian? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it felt like a trick question. <laughs> no, it wasn't a trick. So, okay. yes, Martian comes from the planet named Mars, of course, is from the Latin Mars. He was the Roman god of war. Someone who lives on Mars can also be called an Arian. Arian spelled A-R-E-A-N, Arian. For Ares? From Ares, the ancient wow. Greek god of war. Mm-hmm. Emma, your next one is, tell me what the demonym is of someone who lives on Phobos. That's one of Mars's moons. The demonym for Phobos is Phobian? Mm. <laughs> well, pho- it's, it's Phobian. Phobian. It can be Phobian. It can also be Phobies, which I, I put it into... Google Translate to give me an, uh, a pronunciation, and it said "phobies." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I don't think that's right." Uh, but yes, it's from Phobos, the ancient Greek god of fear and son of Ares, which makes sense. Why that's the moon of Mars? Sure, that does make sense. Emily, your next test is: What is the demonym of someone who lives on Jupiter? Oh, well, I boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider so you know using that scientific analysis Uh that i learned Uh when i was in second grade Uh (laughs) uh-huh uh the demonym for jupiter is oh i wonder if it's something the greek equivalent for jupiter who's the Mm. greek equivalent for jupiter Mm. is it just zeus uh Zeusian is incorrect, Emily. I'm pretty sure that is something that comes from the jungle of Newell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Emily. That's incorrect. The correct answer is Jovian. Jovian? Is that where mm-hmm. we get jovial? It is where we get jovial, <gasps> that's yes. So, fun. so it comes from the Latin Eovis, which with was a with an I which we know became J's later on. Yeah. Eovis is a form of the Latin word Iupitur. Sure. Which was the Roman god. Right. But the the form Iupitur is a combination of Eovis, his name, and the Latin word pater, meaning father. So Iupitur essentially means father Jove. That makes sense because he was like the king of the gods. Yes, that is where we get jovial from in the sense of something that's uh, someone that is uh, light-spirited. Good-spirited is the word, right? Yeah. Sure. Well, that's fun. Okay. Tell me the demonym for someone who lives on Titan, moon of Saturn. Ooh. I mean, really tempting to say Titanic, so I'm gonna. That would be good. Wow. Yes, I mean, the the name Titan comes from Titan, the ancient Greek race of giant gods, of which Kronos was one, I believe. Bridges says that the correct demonym here would be Titanese or Titanite. Titanite. That's fun. Titanite. Yeah. One more. Tell me the demonym of someone who lives on Venus, like our Shelk overlords (laughs) do. 
Uh, Venusian, it's one of my favorite demonyms. I don't know if it's the one that he said, but that is the one that people use. So people do use Venusian. They also use Venusian, V-E-N-U-S-I-A-N, or V-E-N-U-T-I-A-N. According to Bridges, both of those are incorrect. Man, he's not living life to its funnest. Because Venusian is Just so wait, fun to Emily. say. Oh. He gives three other options. <laughs> okay. He gives Venustian <laughs> as an option, which is both of them together. <laughs> V-E-N-U-S-T-I-A-N. Hilarious. He also gives Venerian. Oh, buddy. <laughs> which comes from the Latin Venerius, which is the grammatically correct adjective form of Venus. Sure. A Roman goddess of love. He also gives Hesperian as an option, which comes from the ancient Greek word esperos, which is a shortened form of the phrase esperos astir, which means evening star. And that was what the ancient Greeks called what we now know to be the planet Venus. Yeah. They thought it was a little star. It it looks like a little pink star. Well, that one's nice. I That's don't like that. the one that sounds like venereal, but venereal, the other yeah. two are I, nice. Yeah, venereal. <laughs> uh, but perhaps that's why no one says that, and we all use Venusian instead. Us Tillurians use us the word Venusian. use Venusian. Wow, Kyle, this was a great word. I don't know how often I'm going to find a chance to use the word, but I'm going to try whenever I get the opportunity. Whenever you're talking to an alien, you yes. can refer to yourself as Tellurian. Whenever I hear someone say Earthling. I'll say, nope, you're wrong. Well, hey, thank you, Kyle, for a great episode. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Tellurian Patreon at (laughs) patreon.com slash Butter No Parsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout out either on social media or here on the podcast. Yeah, so thanks so much to you guys who help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle Imperator. And I've been the Taylorian Emily Moyers. <laughs> and this has been Butter No Parsnips. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.